0: This is The Guardian. Uh, Hi, Pod fans. Max here from uh, Hackney Museum, where young Ian is playing with the wooden flowers and flower pots. Uh, This is uh, the latest episode of The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. you are a woman, love.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs>
0: are you looking forward to the semi-final? I am. Who's playing? Australia. And? England. Correct. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is a all about those two quarterfinals and giving that amazing penalty shootout uh, between Australia and France and England being Colombia just. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Faye.
2: I'm Faye Carruthers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Breathe, slowly, we have our semi-finalists. England come from behind to knock out Colombia. It was scrappy, but it was a resilient professional performance from the Lionesses. And they'll face co-hosts Australia, who needed a sudden death penalty shootout to progress to the last four of the World Cup for the first time in their history, which means it's au revoir France. Spain needed extra time to beat the Netherlands. They'll face Sweden, who beat one of the most exciting teams in the tournament, 2011 World Champions Japan. So that means there'll be a new nation etched on the trophy. Who will it be? We'll discuss all that, take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Oh, panel, you must be exhausted. I feel exhausted. Susie Rack, are you exhausted? I am barely alive. Barely alive. But here... Barely alive means alive. And I need to tell you, uh, by the way, I know you've seen it already on social media, but after the last pod where I embarrassed myself by not understanding any of the Salvador Dali related puns, which we now don't need because France are out, I took myself off to the British Museum to try and get cultural. I maybe jinxed uh, Japan, though, because I loved their exhibition and that's where I spent most of my time and now they're out. Oh, so all your references are gone. Totally gone. (laughs) How sad. You were going to have such a great final. I know I was. To be fair, I didn't write any of them down, so I've forgotten them already. (laughs) Utterly useless.
0: Marva, please spin some culture to the pod. I'll do my best. I got back from holiday at 3am today, so I think even just uh, being able to talk in sentences might be a stretch for me, but I'll try with
2: some highbrow cultural
0: references throughout the pod.
2: You're in good company. Don't worry about it. Oh, my goodness me, Joe Kahn. After this pod, we're not speaking, by the way. I mean, what drama you've had to go through today.
1: Yeah, that's that's probably fair enough. It has been a huge day in Australia. I can probably offer some cultural observations from here, but uh, that's about it, I think.
2: Okay. well, listen, we're going to get into your game against France very shortly. But first... Let's tackle England 2, Colombia 1. I mean, Susie Rack, you were at Stadium Australia. It very much felt as if it was, you know, a mostly Colombian-based support in the stadium. The Lionesses did it eventually, coming from behind, showing their resilience. What did you make of the game? I
3: mean, support was incredible, but we sort of knew that was going to be the case because the Colombian fans have just been incredible throughout the entire tournament. I mean, I saw an interview somewhere where one was saying that they had taken out a 48 month loan to be able to fly out here and things like that so it it was always going to be good um and it was absolutely electric like spine tingling when the anthem was sang and stuff um and like so so vocal throughout and like dancing dressed up like just fun and what was kind of cool was they were all intermingling before the game outside because there were like giant screens all around the stadium flowing out the bars and stuff and everyone was watching the Australia game. So it was like proper like electric atmosphere, which meant actually at kickoff the stadium looked less than half full because everyone was still trying to get in after the penalties. Um, but yeah, I mean, the game, it wasn't the prettiest still, but it was a significant improvement on Nigeria, I thought. Um, just everything clicked a little bit more, I think, They had a little bit more time on the ball. Um, Nigeria was so well organised in their press and just really sort of stuck to their game plan, man marking pretty much every player. That was really difficult. And Colombia didn't quite have that same presence and pressure on the ball and on the England players. So they were able to like control possession a little bit more. Um, You know, there were still holes in it, but I thought particularly Lauren Hemp and Alessia Russo were absolutely fantastic, like really energetic, like really sort of driving play from the front, um, which we've not really seen in quite the same way. I still think there's problems in midfield, but yeah, defensively and attack wise, I mean, just great that we got some goals from open play for a change. But yeah, just
2: delighted that it was 90 minutes and I'm not still at the stadium well yeah I mean I I have to say the way Joe's game went up in Brisbane I was thinking exactly the same thing to be fair but let's go through in chronological order because you know me I'm a little bit anal I like to do that let's start with uh, Lacey Santos's goal Marva 44 minutes it came as a bit of a sucker punch to the Lionesses it felt did she mean it? No,
0: but uh, she'll claim it, and she should, because I think any of us would claim it if it was us. It was an incredible strike, because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, deflection, unlucky, and then I watched it back, and I was like, that wasn't deflection, it was sort of the way that she hit it. It kind of just swerves really early on, and just sort of, I think just wrong footed Mary Earps and just confused her, really, but um, maybe some questioning over, over Earps' positioning and just sort of how early she jumped, I think, but it was also a kind of freak shot that, of course, no one was expecting, but yeah I think she's been incredible all tournament to be honest um Santos, and I thought Colombia just I was scared in the first in the first half I was scared I thought they really came at us even in in sort of moments where we had a bit of sustained possession I thought them on the counter attack and then also just their Ramirez at the front I, I she's just, just surprised me like she has possibly been my player of the tournament I think just what she does in that position I haven't really seen any center forwards in any other team do what she does I think she honestly improves pretty much any club team that she could go into and I bet there will be a lot of clubs after her but yeah I'm un- for Colombia but a beautiful first goal and it was just obviously great for us but I, I do feel for them because I think they've won the hearts of a lot of us.
2: Yeah, well, that equaliser came at exactly the right time, though, didn't it? There was, uh, I think it was seven minutes of added time in that first half, Susie. And Lauren Hemp stood up and scored the equaliser in the sixth minute of added time. But to be fair, it didn't look like it should have gone in. You know, you have to look at Catalina Perez there, how she spilled that shot initially. She's going to be so angry with herself.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not great, is it? It was pretty poor. And it's so gutting for them to concede so, so deep into added time at the end of the half as well. Like, I think it was the sixth and final minute of added time. And a real sucker punch, you know, they worked so, so hard to get themselves into the lead and, you know, really had the crowd behind them and potentially going into a second half ahead. Yeah, you can't like underestimate the power of getting a goal at the end of the half to equalize in a game like that I mean it just sways momentum doesn't it and just swings the belief uh, um, towards the team that have come back into it like so so significantly But yeah really gutting moment for Perez who's had a pretty good tournament I think you know obviously we've said that goalkeepers generally have had really good games in this competition obviously we'll talk about one in the in the game after <laughs> this one but um Mary being slightly positionally a little bit wrong for their goal, and then goalkeeper spilling it for for Lauren Hemp's equaliser didn't maybe show the best sides, but at the same time, that like rest of the game, I thought um, Earps was absolutely outstanding, and Perez obviously went off, and you saw twenty year old come on in her place uh, and do a, a pretty decent job considering you know making your World Cup debut at twenty in goal coming on in place of your 28-year-old experienced keeper who has excelled through the tournament. So, yeah, big game to
2: mess up in, but those things happen. And actually, Alessia Russo in England showed uh, the resilience in in the second half, didn't they? Because I felt Colombia were, were were causing them some, some problems. And then Alessia Russo, 63 minutes, was uh, absolutely fantastic with that goal, Marva.
0: Yeah, incredible finish. Maybe Defender could have done a bit better, but I thought Alyssa Russo's movement to kind of anticipate that the ball was going to drop there and then the finish there as well. I thought she had a great game, um, as we sort of said before as well. I thought her and him really sort of pushed it from the front, which we hadn't seen. They just worked really hard and then the the finish to to finish it off really. So it was, yeah, I was screaming very loudly when that went in because it just kind of felt like we started to sustain a bit of pressure, but we still weren't really getting any kind of, clear cut chances I think the only chances we were really getting are kind of from set pieces or corners or sort of crosses in which Daly had a few um, Russo had one I think as well which kind of just ended up in the goalkeeper's hands but to kind of get such a clear one-on-one chance and put it away like that was was beautiful and hopefully we see a few more through balls through because I think that's where we're, we are at our best when we can pull those moments off but we've just really been struggling this tournament to do so I thought you could really see the relief as well in our celebration
3: like just yeah it was just etched all over her face. I mean, obviously, you know, coming into the tournament, leading the line in place of Edlon White retired, you know, only having one goal so far in what was a pretty comprehensive and relatively easy win in the group stage. Like she needed that moment. She needed that for confidence uh, massively. And it also repays the faith in Serena in sticking with her when you've got the likes of Daly and Beth England who are like scoring for fun at club level and breathing down her neck. Um, I think that's a real pressure lifter.
2: Yeah, and actually, Rachel Daly had a couple of good efforts in the first half herself, didn't she? So, you know, she was itching to get on the score sheet for sure. And actually, you mentioned, Marva, the uh, the corners and free kicks and, and Bo message to say, England's movement on corner kicks and free kicks reminds me of line dancing in US country music bars. Lots of choreography, but it's really hard to see the point. <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit harsh, maybe a bit harsh, but yeah, I think it's just been a
0: bit of a theme all, all throughout. The tournament, it's like, especially in the sort of the first game with daily and you've got players who can get on the end of crosses, but then it's just sort of it feels like not really a tactic. It's almost like a half tactic of just kind of putting crosses in, and they haven't really pulled through other than in the, in that China game. So. Yeah, it's. I think it's more a case of where we have done better is that we have switched it up a bit. So we're not just relying on those crosses. We're not just relying on those set pieces. Um, we've slightly improved in sort of creating a few chances now as well. Whereas in that first Haiti game, it was literally just all we could do was just mm-hmm. chuck in wayward crosses. So we'll see. Maybe maybe the line dancing will, will pull off in, in the semifinal.
2: Oh, yeah, that'd be quite fun. Uh, Just finally on this one, Susie, I feel as if we have to give a lot of love to the defenders because they put their bodies on the line and I thought Alex Greenwood in particular was fantastic in this match.
3: Yeah, I mean, before the quarterfinals, she had the most touches of any player in the tournament so far. Like, it's just been immense. And when you consider that, you know, she didn't play much of the Euros last year, was sort of bumped out of the team by Leah Williamson almost on the eve of the tournament as they shifted her back from experimenting with her in the midfield. Weirdly, it's hard to see how Leah walks back into that defence. I mean, obviously, it's a long, long, long way off. But the way Alex is playing, but also the way she's playing alongside Brighton Carter in a back three is really, really solid and really complements each other. I mean, you know, I'd argue that um, Jess Carter is the best 1v1 defender on the tee. Millie has been absolutely immense and really good at driving out from the middle as well and uh and Alex has just been phenomenal with her with her sort of vision from playing out from the back so like it, it's it's really well balanced it's you know obviously right footed players and Alex Greenwood as the the left footed centre back just like it, it just all complements each other really well and it's hard to see them being able to go back to a back four because of how strong it is and then because of the fullback options being Lucy Bronze and Rachel Daly as the best options of the bunch at the moment are so attacking that you, you sort of have to do that. So it's hard to see them going back now, I think.
2: Yeah, um, I'm going to give a little bit of love to Georgia Stanway as well for that ball. Uh, through to Russo as well for that goal because it was an absolute beaut of a ball. Um, I've not brought Joe in purely because I'm assuming, Joe, that you were jumping up and down, screaming like a banshee slash getting some post-match reaction and writing articles uh, after the Australia game, which we'll go in depth with shortly. But did you manage to catch any of the match? And if you did, what do you make of your semi-final opponents?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I was still a bit busy when it was happening, but it was on one of the screens in the media centre in Brisbane so we could see a little bit of it I think the thing that stood out for me and after listening to to you guys talk about that game is that I am a little bit scared now the way that they were pushing forward and I think when we found out that Lauren James was going to be suspended maybe there was a little bit of oh okay but maybe a little bit of pressure off that point I mean she'd been so phenomenal uh, in her previous games but then after seeing the result today and how they handled Colombia who have been uh, so great throughout the tournament yeah maybe a little bit worried now
2: You have actually reminded me that the last time we did the pod, we didn't know, did we, that Lauren James had been handed a two-match ban from FIFA, so upgraded from a one-match ban, Susie. I think many of us were maybe surprised by that and thought it was going to be a three-match ban. And we are very much looking ahead because England have to beat Australia in order to get to the final but if they did manage to do that Lauren James would be available for the final the question mark is would Serena Wiegmann change things up and, and and start her again? I would 100% um,
3: if that option came to it because if you're looking at players that didn't play the best on the pitch I think Ella Toon was the weak spot in that team she really struggled I don't think she's a number 10 she's more a box to box and she's not quite got the physical presence to be able to go up against a team like Colombia in the middle like that. But then she hasn't necessarily got the same sort of technical skill of someone like Lauren James or Frank Kirby, who naturally slot into that number 10 role and are capable of unlocking even the most um, resilient of defences. So she was the weak spot for me. I think she she's really struggled in every game she's played. So she's a logical player to target to a certain extent. So yeah, I mean, if England managed to get through to the final, then the option of having Lauren the back is obviously huge because uh, she's just an incredible talent, but um and it would be a really good story <laughs> to write up as well. But yeah, like I was so, so shocked that it wasn't a free match ban. I think it probably should have been. I don't know what or how the FA managed to wrangle her you know, out of uh, a more serious suspension but it felt it felt a little bit harsh particularly or a little bit unfair particularly in the context of the um of the Nigerian player that was given a free match ban for a dangerous challenge but a challenge nonetheless not a premeditated step on someone's back which uh Lauren James is very much was so yeah it's um it's a surprise a good one and you know if they make the final Fingers crossed.
2: It's a big if, though, because before they kicked off this quarterfinal against Colombia, they already knew that if they got through, it was going to be Australia in the last four, the co-hosts. I mean, I can't even begin to round up this game. I'm going to let Joe do it. It finished Australia nil, France nil after extra time, and uh, Australia won it seven six on penalties. But it was 20 penalties later that we finally got to that result. Joe's already shaking her head. I mean, it was a truly extraordinary shootout. As if the USA Sweden shootout wasn't exciting enough, this was crazy. Um, it's the first time in Australia's history that they're through to the semi-finals of the World Cup. That. But I mean, it's not even half of it, is it? 20 penalties, etc. You you were there, Joe. It was a nerve-shredding game to watch. I don't quite know how you're even here with us right now. Try and talk us through it, if you possibly can.
1: Well, I'm hanging on by a thread. But as Susie said earlier, alive, barely alive, but still alive. Where do I even start? It was... There was so much in that game. And once the penalty shootout started, it was, it was almost instantly forgot everything else that had happened in the 120 minutes before, which was still an epic. I mean, the story at the end of that for me is Mackenzie Arnold, an incredible performance in goal, uh, in regulation time, in, in extra time and in the shootout, which which won them the game. But then some other interesting things, I think... Some of our younger, newer players really shone today. Um, Interestingly, one of our veterans, Alana Kennedy um, at centre-back, I thought that she had a bit of a shaky game, but next to her is Claire Hunt, who has, I think, maybe nine caps now for the national team and is 24, 25. And she's stepped up this whole tournament, but I thought today she held her ground really well, particularly towards the end of extra time as things got uh, really chaotic just going from end-to-end balls ricocheting through the box and yeah and I mean Mary Fowler is probably the other one as well I think she actually made a couple of couple of errors earlier on in the game which led to some scary chances for Eugénie Le Sommet she had a good chance that uh, came to naught in the end but I think Mary Fowler's one to watch. When she gets the ball, she just sort of, it's almost like she dances a little bit with it and you kind of wonder what she's going to do. And then she just pulls off these incredible passes. She was foiled a few times in front of goal, but then put away a belter of a penalty to get one back at the end. So, I mean, what have I missed? <laughs> So much, so much that happened. So much drama on top of all of that.
2: It was such a dramatic quarterfinal. I have to say, I found it absolutely astounding, Joe, that Mackenzie Arnold stepped up not just to take a penalty, but to take the fifth penalty as well. I mean, it was just madness to me.
1: Yeah, I thought the same thing. We weren't sure what she was doing at first. We thought that she was waiting for a, a review or something, or and then we realized no, she's standing there because she's gonna she's gonna take that herself. And I had the exact same thought. Afterwards, she went back and stood on the line. It's like, well, how are you going to compose yourself now? And, you know, she'd already made, I'm not sure if she'd made two, maybe just one save by that point. How are you going to pull that out again? And you're right, I think that there probably was a mental aspect there which may have, you know, affected those next couple of kicks. But, I mean, she was able to pull it together after that uh, and it was enough in the end. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was it, the, the shootout itself. I, I feel like we're just ignoring 120 minutes worth of football, but it was all about ultimately the shootout, and ultimately didn't matter that Mackenzie Arnold um, didn't save those next two penalties, or you know, in fact, score hers. But it was it was mental to watch from a neutral's point of view, Marva.
0: Yeah, it was such drama. Um, I, did, I thought we weren't going to get a better penalty shootout after the, the Sweden USA game, but I think this delivered. I just loved, like, there were so many different narratives, like even just France bringing on their, you know, their second goalkeeper, which I love to see in tournaments because um, it sometimes works out, it sometimes doesn't. And then you had Perisay who came on to take one and then that always never goes well. And then, yeah, Arnold to step up and then miss and then, what was it, like three match points, essentially. That was <laughs> incredible to watch that you just thought, is anyone actually going to take this? They, does anyone want to get through to the semi-final here? Um, but yeah, I literally had my my head in my hands multiple times. It's been so fun. To, and then just the added thing things like VAR and like coming off the line, there was also a retaken penalty that was then missed again. It's like if you were to write all the different things that could happen in a penalty shootout, they happened. But I guess it was... And for the game itself was, um, yeah, didn't live up to that same drama. But I thought after the first half, which was a bit slow um, towards the end of the the first half, I thought it started to get quite exciting. And then in the second half as well, it did start to really open up and, Either team could have won it. I thought both both teams had, had really good chances um, that they'll, well, France will regret more, but it was so exciting to see and
2: what a way to end it as well. Well, actually, Alana Kennedy got away with one a little bit, didn't she? Because she scored a shocking, I mean, it would have been a cracking goal if it was for Australia, but it was an own goal. But, you know, there was a foul against Wendy Renard. That was in extra time. Um, you know, thank goodness for that. And then, as you say, that goalkeeper change, um, Durand brought on by Herve Renard for the shootout. Massive call. Um uh, Susie, you were obviously getting ready for the England game in, in in Sydney. You kind of mentioned it at the top, but what was the atmosphere like? Because I I think you could tell that quite a few people had stayed outside for the screens outside Stadium Australia to watch the, the, the shootout. So they were <laughs> late to their seats.
3: Yeah, I sacked off actually preparing for the England game. I've watched England enough times um, and went and watched it in the pub uh, right by the stadium uh, that was absolutely rammed. And we couldn't like, get close enough to a screen and we were like looking through a sea of heads towards this tiny little screen in distance and may as well have been in Brisbane itself um it was that far away from us so couldn't really see what was going on but the atmosphere was absolutely buzzing and everywhere was rammed there were a number of bars every single one spilling onto the street they'd put up screens outside inside every single screen switched onto it there were big screens up in the uh sort of olympic park around the stadium and yeah it was just absolutely manic um and everyone together was watching it you know colombians england fans australians who have sort of come to watch the game as neutrals or just come soak up the atmosphere a bit and yeah it meant everyone was late into the ground um <laughs> except for me i left at 90 minutes to go and actually do some preparation it, it's weird because you know we saw the lioness be so so embraced by the country last year when they won the euros but it just feels a different level here, like from the start as well. It just feels next level, and has permeated for me like so much more deeply into society than it than it did during the Euros. It's it's a weird feeling, like comparing it, and it's just a complete world away from France. But yeah, the atmosphere was. Mad, absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah, how much is uh, is the nation embracing World Cup fever, Joe? I mean, it's it's quite incredible. They're the first hosts to reach the semi-finals since the USA in two thousand and three. Could be the first since the Americans in ninety nine as well to to triumph on home soil.
1: Yeah, I think it's exceeded expectations even here. It's really interesting to hear that that comparison with the Euros, actually. Um, one thing that's happened in the last few days in Australia is that there's been kind of this rejigging or reshuffling of what is otherwise a very sort of established sporting landscape or broadcasting landscape, I suppose. You know, the news got pushed back on the channel that has the the World Cup broadcast rights. Uh, And then they also play AFL games, Australian rules football. And they, you know, they moved one of their kickoff times further back to try and get regular time Matilda's game in. And then they also came to an agreement with FIFA to play the Matilda's game on the big screens in the stadium, the MCG in Melbourne, before one of the, the blockbuster footy games that was happening tonight. They didn't then show the extra time and the penalties because the, the other footy game had started, but they did continue to show it on the other TV screens throughout the stadium, which is just... It's just incomprehensible. Like I still cannot understand how a, a men's Australian rules footy game had women's football on TVs at the same time. Like it's just, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, and it's just incredible. I mean, on one hand, I think you know the AFL has has had to. Except, OK, we need to embrace this moment because the rest of the country is and we need to get on board. But on the other hand, it's just the, the power of, of this moment and of this Australian team and this tournament.
2: And And that is what I absolutely love about it more than anything else. You know, we talked in our preview pod about success making change and that's exactly what the Matildas are are managing to do which is absolutely incredible just one quick word Marva on, on France will they be kicking themselves or did the right team win
0: I mean, I think you know, if you win, then you're the right team in that sense. When it's when it's penalties, especially, but yeah, I think they will be kicking themselves because, especially in that first half, I think in the first kind of 30 minutes, 35 minutes, they were the team on top and they just didn't capitalize on their chances. Um, they got very lucky with that that fouler. Well, it was great defending, to be fair, but that that fouler chance towards the end of the first half, and you thought maybe that would just kind of wake them up a bit, given that they were the better team in, in the majority of the first half, but they didn't. And if anything, I think Australia um, had better chances in the second half as well. So. Yeah, it's, it's, I kind of expected more from them, to be honest. They had that chance from Le Carras as well, who literally just somehow shinned it over the bar. And I I couldn't believe that that didn't go in. So in in that sense, they will be kicking themselves. But at the end of the day, they, they didn't do enough. So
2: I think the right result happened. And we had already lost Italy manager Milena Bertolini's crisp suits, RIP to Herve Renard's. Crisp white shirts. Uh, it's all down to you, Serena, and your bomber jacket from now on. Uh, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll round up yesterday's two quarterfinals. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. So to Friday's action, we'll start at Eden Park, where favourites Japan were knocked out of the World Cup, courtesy of a 2-1 defeat by a very impressive Sweden. Arsenal's summer signing Amanda Illestad scoring her fourth goal of the tournament in the 32nd minute, before Manchester City midfielder Philippa Angeldahl doubled their lead from the penalty spot early in the second half. I mean, it felt as if the Swedes were in cruise control, but Japan did make a game of it towards the end all of a sudden coming to life at the end of that second half awarded a controversial spot kick when Riko Weki hit the bar justice may be done we'll discuss that in a second before West Ham's Honoka Hayashi pulled a goal back in the 87th minute we were all set for that grandstand finish Susie weren't we but it was just a bit of a case of too little too late for the Japanese in the end.
3: Yeah and I was (laughs) quite sad about it because you know, I've sort of really enjoyed watching them throughout the tournament, really thrilled. The football they're playing is so nice. But I always had this like thing in the back of my mind that when they come up against a team that is really defensively solid, good from set pieces, well organised, quite physical, that it, they might come unstuck a bit. Obviously, they got the sort of thrilling win over Spain in the group stage, but against a European team that plays a very similar style of football to them, very possession based. Um, very technical and tactical and I just was sort of waiting to see what they would do against you know sort of one of the big European sides that that plays a little bit differently Um, and that was sort of their undoing which is pretty sad I thought Sweden were much much improved on uh, their performance against the US Um, like really maybe spurred on by the fact that they sort of scraped through that so narrowly but look a really really strong side and potential winners of this tournament I would say like Which is interesting because after the Olympic final, I thought that was sort of the peak for this Sweden team. I thought that was the height that they were going to reach, their best chance at a major tournament trophy or medal, as the case is in the Olympics. And I really think they messed that up. And I thought that was it for them. So to then see them do as well as they have in this tournament with, you know, quite a few changes to their team from that one at the Olympics is really impressive and also great to see so many gunners
2: doing so well. I was going to say that they're littered with WSL talent, aren't they? And it's back-to-back semi-finals now for Peter Gerhardsen's side, but they've always kind of been always the bridesmaid, never the bride a little bit, it feels, um, Sweden. But this this felt like more of a statement performance, Marva. It, even after sneaking past the USA literally by a millimetre, this felt like they meant business.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we've all kind of been saying we haven't been that impressed with them, even that whenever Italy was still just a bit like Italy being bad rather than them being that good. But um, no, this was a real step up. And I think that's where you make even more of a statement when you make a statement at this moment of the competition because you saw it with Japan you know they'd won every single game they looked incredible but if you don't go and then you know pull out a great performance at this stage it's all over so it's really important to start growing into it around this time and it's similar to what we've kind of been saying about England as well in that haven't been the most impressive, but they've got it done. And I think when you get it done, that's what matters in tournament football and Sweden have sort of giving me those vibes at the moment. So I think also quite a few of their players just really stepped it up I Fort Aslani was great. Fort Rolfo was great. Angdo was great. And they're looking now like they've kind of figured it out, whereas, I don't know if you can exactly say the same about England. A lot of the, the problems we were facing, we still haven't necessarily ironed all of those out. Whereas in that performance against Japan, I think Sweden kind of did that in a lot of ways. Maybe it was a bit bit choppy at the end and obviously the, the crossbar saved them and somehow Misovic's back didn't hit the ball and have that go in. I don't know how that
2: happened. but I'll tell you how it happened. She has a force field around her goal. That's <laughs> yeah. how it happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> had to have, had to have. But um, yeah, so maybe a little bit of luck at the end, but overall a really comprehensive performance from them. Um, and yeah, Spain versus Sweden will be a very, very interesting one. I feel like all four teams left could win it. That's just what's
2: exciting. So we'll see. It is exciting, isn't it? I, I mean, I was devastated to see Japan go out because they've been my favourite team to watch. But we kind of speculated that maybe set pieces could be their weakness, Joe, and and it proved the case absolute chaos for Illestead's goal. They couldn't clear their lines. They also just couldn't deal with Sweden's physicality. There was such a height difference and it, it felt as if the game plan for Sweden was so perfected and Japan didn't really know how to beat it.
1: Yeah, I think the way that Sweden really showed up made Japan look small in, in more ways than one. They were so much more physical and it was... it. It, it did look like it was a completely different Japan team playing from what we'd seen before. I was really hoping that it was Japan that was going to make that statement in the quarterfinals on top of what they had already done. You know, every I feel like a lot of people had kind of been rooting for them and just, as as everyone has said, really enjoying watching them play. And it it was just unrecognisable. There was some, some excellent goalkeeping, I thought, still Um Yeah, I thought Yamashita did a really great job to keep it at 2-1. Obviously, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And yeah, I'm disappointed that we're not going to see them go further, but also excited for what comes next time, because I think it's a pretty young team. And the way that they got everybody so excited this time around, they're going to have a lot more to offer.
2: Yeah, it feels like they're going to come strong at the Olympics, especially after having such a disappointing home Olympics, Susie. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like there was a lot of talk about
3: how they were potentially sacrificing the 2019 World Cup to Bloods, a load of youngsters, and sort of getting them ready for the home Olympics. That didn't quite come off, but we're seeing it just a couple of years later sort of look like, as a team, they're really coming together. I think I said it on the pod last time that they look like a club side. The movement, the mind-reading passes, like it just it just all seems very, very instinctive and natural in a way that a few other teams show so yeah like a few more years under their belt and I think they're going to be a force to be record with the Olympics might even be a little bit too soon but next World Cup a lot of these players are going to be in their prime it's a question of whether they can get the test against you know some of the top nations within that time that really puts them physically to the test and whether some of those players potentially you know, quite a lot of the team plays in Japan still move abroad to try and sort of get that experience against these kind of teams week in, week out.
2: Yeah, and actually, you know, we did see them against Spain. They were so impressive. You can't believe, really, that they beat Spain 4 0 in the groups. It's quite incredible. And Spain are into the semi finals themselves because, last but not least, incredible late drama in Wellington. Teenager Salma Pereo coming off the bench to score a 111th minute winner as Spain reached the semi finals for the first time in their history. It was a 2 1 extra time win over the Netherlands in the end. And it's fair to say, Stephanie van de Graat had a pretty eventful final game as a professional footballer. She gave away the penalty in the first place in the first half with a crazy handball which Mariona Caldente slammed home via the post. Then she went from villain to hero, springing the offside trap to bring her side level as we ticked into injury time. But it was the 19-year-old who had the last laugh in extra time. It was an incredible finish Susie and and actually uh, on the balance of play, Spain were just good value for their place in the final four.
3: Yeah, frustratingly. Like, I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I really want to see this Spain team get knocked out. I don't want it to be successful. Not for the players. I want the players to be successful. But, like, I just think when you've got a manager who, you know, know, quite clearly there's problems with, you know, players have have refused to play for the national team that should be at this tournament that would make Spain win it. When you look at it, they are desperate for a really good centre-back. Mappy Leon is probably the best in the world and she's not there and it just makes me angry that they're being successful despite all of that going on. And it speaks to the talent of the players rather than the manager doing a good job. I thought it was really telling that at the final whistle, like they're all celebrating, and he is completely ignored. Um, so yeah, I mean,
2: great goal, but I'm just really irritated. Are you as irritated, Marva? Because I'm just going to pose the question. <laughs> Jorge Vilda said after the match they played an extraordinary level all of the players it was a match with a lot of emotional decisions and the goal from Salma was sheer joy Uh, look we've not been shy to criticize Spain have we Susie Rack has just done so herself a second ago do we need to give Jorge Vilda and his coaching staff some credit for what they've managed to do at the tournament so far don't roll your eyes to the sky (laughs) answer the question (laughs) Um, I would like not to
0: I think in my mind this Spain team has just been a a, a team without a manager in in my mind as I've all been watching it but they did I'll speak to the team as a whole which may or may or not include the coaching staff I'll play it that way I thought they really stepped up in this game again as well after you know that terrible Japan game you just kind of thought that they, their heads would go down and they'd be out of this tournament but um, I thought they were, they were much the better team um, for most of the game And they are are exciting to watch in some ways, which I share the same annoyance as Susie of annoyingly. They are nice to watch. And, um, you know, Paruello hurt that finish and the kind of exciting young talent they've got on show. Um, And and that mix as well of kind of the legends like Hamaso and then the young talents coming up and just some of the best players in the world. And it's it is a shame that we we're not seeing more of them as in more of the best players in the world because there are some some more for spain that could be playing but you can't deny the talent that they have but whether that will be enough to take them through all the way i'm i'm not too sure but um, if they do then I'll be happy for the players let's just say that Mm Wilder took off Bon Matty that
3: was a big error and probably helped contribute to the equaliser so like I think we
2: can criticise him as a coach too bad decision (laughs) oh god I'd love him to come on this pod one day and just uh, (laughs) give us his thoughts maybe not I don't think we'll invite him let's not invite him I feel like I feel like
1: he might not come on if you did invite him
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so I don't don't think we'll see Let's, let's just to say, bearing in mind what our postal system is like, that the invitation, Jorge, is in the post. You'll never get it. uh, Lineth, uh Bierenstein, not going to want to watch back the highlights, Joe, though, is she? Because even though the Netherlands were outplayed throughout, they they had some real guilt-edged chances to steal it, and it felt as if they really missed Danielle van der Donk.
1: Yeah, they did, and she looked so sad in the stands. It was really heartbreaking. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, they they just looked increasingly desperate towards the end, long balls over the top to Berenstein and she's so fast and, and so skillful, but it just it wasn't enough. I, I did think at one point, I mean, it took a while for, for Spain to score, and I thought at one point maybe we were looking at another Sweden Netherlands, or maybe Netherlands were just going to end up winning 1-0 from a penalty or something like that. But, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Spain deserved to win that one.
2: Yeah, um, as an aside, classic Johnny Lou. I mean, I talked at the beginning of the pod about culture. I said I wasn't going to bring it. The three of you also said, unlikely to bring it today. Johnny (laughs) Lou's not even here, but listen to this. His description of Van de Graat's goal in his match report. And truly, this was a central defender's finish. A shot of all consonants and no vowels. A thud so agriculturally primal, it really belonged in a museum (laughs) next to some cracked pots and a prehistoric medieval (laughs) plough. That is peak Johnny Lou. Heat. <laughs> so we're up for some absolutely mouthwatering semi-finals on Tuesday, 9 a.m. UK time kickoff, Spain against Sweden on Wednesday at eleven AM, when we finish talking to Joe Kahn until the end of the tournament. Um it is England against Australia. I'm gonna make you all set your stalls out. How are these ones playing out? I'm gonna start with Marva. Um, I think Sweden are going to go through and
0: I think obviously I've just got to back England don't I so England Sweden in the final is my prediction.
2: Joe is looking to the sky now I think we've all had an eye roll this pod <laughs> haven't we yeah. go on Joe.
1: I think Sweden they yeah they just look so dangerous now uh and Australia Sweden Australia in the final sorry. Susie Rack? Well obviously
3: I want Sweden to win I mean that's a given and I think they will um but Australia England oh man I'm gonna say Australia because I have to tactically tactically vote my uh, Joe may not know that my predictions
2: are historically appalling on this podcast so yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to catch myself out this is what she did in the last one and she did say Colombia to win and it worked so reverse psychology (laughs) Uh, fingers crossed right listen prepare yourselves for two cracking semi-finals next week Marva always a pleasure thank you can't go get yourself some sleep.
1: I will. The bed's just there. We're nearly there. World Cup fever, Susie Rack
2: yeah I can't go to bed yet as well I've got to write two articles first the amount of times I've sent you messages going why are you still awake by the way isn't it 4am there <laughs> I've kind of given up on you getting any sleep this tournament I will see you soon though we'll be back on Wednesday to round up the semi-finals and look ahead to Sunday's final can you believe we're there already Women's Football Weekly is produced by Ned Carter, Miles and Lucy Oliver music composition was by Laura Iredell and our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian.